0: And welcome back to a fresh episode of the Business Growth Show. I'm your host, Sam Dunning, co-owner over at webchoiceuk.com. And if you haven't yet, check out my weekly emails where I'm showing actual B2B website, marketing tips, useful podcasts, goodies, and more. Keep your week off with a bang. Give it a shot over at businessgrowth.email. Joining me today, I've got James Church. James is author of the Amazon best selling book, Investable Entrepreneur, and he's also co founder over at Robot Mascot. James, welcome to the show, sir. Hey. How are we doing? Hey. Yeah, good, good. Thanks for having me. No problem, man. So, we're going to be talking exactly how you can raise investment for your company with 2023 on the horizon at the time of recording. It's probably going to be something on a lot of um, businesses' minds, especially ones that have perhaps reached a certain point of growth, or maybe they need some cash to get to the next level, and it's a fresh topic for the show, so looking forward to diving in, sir. So as always, let's not beat around the bush. First and foremost, James, why why would a company, why should a company be looking in to be seeking investment?
1: Yeah, well, the, the truth is, not every company should. Um, yeah. <laughs> it needs to be the needs to be the right type of company. You, you need to have big ambitions. You need to be wanting to grow, kind of a multi million pound enterprise. You you have ambitions to kind of take on the world. You wanna you wanna build a, a massive legacy, a, a big business with with a huge. Um, with a huge amount of revenue and 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 potential. So so what we're not looking at with with you know most investors aren't looking at investing in kind of a, a small lifestyle business with a team of sort of 5 to 10 people um that you're going to work at for the for the rest of your um career and perhaps sell when you retire. If you're that mm. type of business um there's pro- other places to go for finance. So we're talking high growth high scale wanting to to build something you know in the in the tens of millions of revenue is is kind of the type of business that that would wouldn't and perhaps should be seeking investment and and the reason they might seek investment is is because Reinvesting profits into your business for growth um, is going to take a very long time to reach those those goals. So you need additional capital um, to to invest in products and marketing to get the business off the ground uh, quickly uh, and start start getting market market traction. Uh, and, and reinvesting your profits is is probably not going to get you the product you need. Perhaps your product's really expensive to develop in the first place before you can even start to build, uh, get some customers. So, yeah, that's the type of business we're we're, we're thinking about today. Got it. Okay, so we're
0: talking not 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 real small businesses, not lifestyle businesses. Businesses are perhaps looking to raise tens millions of capital. To, yeah, to it could be hundreds a... of
1: thousands to millions okay. of, of capital, but but their ambition, like five years time, they want to see themselves as a multi million pound enterprise. Over 10 million revenue, usually in the hundreds of millions of revenue, um, is there is there a true ambition and and they want to be, you know, a a big substantial business, 50 plus employees. That's that's what I what I would call a performance business, you know, uh, not as opposed to a lifestyle business.
0: Got it. And there, before we get actionable, before we walk through kind of how you can go through the whole process of thinking about and gaining investment, are there any other types of businesses that you often see that? try to get investment that you feel probably aren't ready for it Are there any situations where businesses just shouldn't go just aren't ready for investment yet
1: yeah so i think um obviously the more you can the more um investors love something they call traction and validation so they they love to see progress being made they love you know they love you to have a a very early version of your product into the market with some with some very early revenues perhaps, or, or perhaps just users on a free platform that you've created, but but some kind of level of engagement from, from the audience. That If you're in that position, it's much easier to raise investment than if you're not. That being said, we work with plenty of clients who, who have a big, ambitious project, um, a very complex piece of technology that they're building or, or product that they're building. And mm. they just have very, um, they have a great concept, really detailed wireframes or, or prototype, no customers, um, and, and they can equally raise raise investment. But it's slightly tougher than than if you've already got some customers and, and you've got some proof points.
0: Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, does that depend on the sector or market that you're in, whether you need existing customers, existing revenue, or you just perhaps have a, a brilliant idea, something that's unique? Yeah. I mean, are there rules against this or is it it's not really rules, but
1: there is you know certain sectors like um fintech for example financial technology is a massive space right now loads of money floating around and there's probably it's probably easier to raise finance in in that sector and, and perhaps an earlier earlier stage so we had a client that was seeking about 300k investment on and they had some wireframe prototypes and they wanted to 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 build um build out that product they yep. not only secured the 300k but they managed to secure 700k for that for that project um so they massively overfunded um so in those types of hot hot areas it's probably um, easier um but uh, yeah there's no kind of hard and fast rule um but but the just the more evidence a, a good one to think about is kind of medical technology like that's very complex and you're you're gonna have to do years of clinical trials before you can even start generating revenue from it so you wouldn't be expected to be revenue generating if you've got something in medical technology or a new medical device or product or something like that so yeah it does depend slightly but but yeah so got it you want got it
0: yeah no that makes sense i mean same same with a lot of things right there's there's often variables and things that are dependent Mm. so yeah that makes sense so if uh if a company's got to a certain stage and they have, they've got these growth targets in mind, so they want in the next five years, they want to get to X million, they want to get to X headcount, um, they've got serious growth goals. What are the first things that they should actually consider before they go out and start reaching out to investors,
1: putting together a plan? Yeah. So you have to be, you have to be prepared for, for quite intense investor scrutiny because investors are getting hundreds of pitch decks a week into their inbox. And you need to you need to make sure you shine. Like one percent of of businesses end up securing investment from like angel investors and venture capital combined. So you to be in that few percent that actually go on to successfully close around you need to be beyond beyond kind of prepared, and you need to be at the very the very top of your game. So you you need to be extremely prepared. You, you mentioned in your introduction about 2023 and kind of looking forward into into kind of what's happening next year. We've seen with with everything that's happening in the wider economy, um, there's more money being invested than a few years ago as a result of what's happening in the in the economy right now, um, which we can go into. But but what in terms of what investors are looking for versus kind of 18 months ago, they're they're much more focused on due diligence. They're spending much more time and energy and effort making sure they're making the right decision on the deal. So you right. as a family needs to be more prepared than ever um in in terms of going out for investment so you've got to have a, a a compelling pitch deck that's gonna gonna engage the investor get them interested and want to spend time with you exploring this in more detail then you're going to need a really solid set of financial projections that, that map out the future financial opportunity and then that all needs to be backed up with a really credible kind of business case and business strategy of how you're actually going to, to build the business in the short and the long term. So how are you going to spend their money right now to get to the next strategic milestone and massively increase the valuation of the company? But beyond that, how are you going to get it from from where it is now to to a point where it can exit for hundreds of millions of of dollars? Um, So you need to have all of that in place to to make sure that an investor really sees the potential, not just in the business and the idea, but in you as a founder and being able to actually execute on that. Because we can all have great ideas, right? Um, But Mm. not everyone can build a multi million dollar business out of it.
0: Oh yeah I've uh, probably 10 20 ideas most days I'm sure most of them are useless um yeah. but uh, that's yeah.
1: part of the fun but yeah but the best founders can execute on those ideas and turn them into a highly valuable and commercial operation um and that that's what they're looking for is a great idea with a great founder um they need those two things okay so you mentioned
0: a few points there pitch deck financial projections business strategy and then considering a, an exit Mm-hmm. Um, if you're up for it I quite often like to give scenarios mm. so let's say you mentioned fintech's quite a hot industry now let's mm-hmm. pretend we're talking about a fintech company yeah. perhaps they've they've got a brand new concept that's not seen before and maybe like you mentioned there they're building some kind of uh sas fintech uh solution that's Got some kind of unique proposition on the market and the the founders strongly believe that in the next five years it's gonna kind of break through, they're gonna be 50, 100 staff plus, and they can kind of start turning over in the millions. So they've got this this great solution for their fintech offering. What do they need to do in this case to actually is the first thing that they need to do now they've got this concept, um, build out the pitch deck? Is that like one of the first things yeah, they should consider um, or?
1: That's probably the last thing, actually, that that you would do. Okay. Um, assuming you've got a certain level of sort of validation of and, and traction to to prove, firstly, to yourself that this is worth your time and effort pursuing. Um, you, you've got some early evidence, whether that be surveys, focus groups, um, industry experts, kind of validating that this is a concept that that could work and could could fly. Ideally. Contract signed with potential customers or, or, or a waiting list or actual users on something you've built as an early prototype, but you've got some level of evidence that suggests this is a goer. Um, once you've got that in place and, and, and you're pretty confident, you know, it's beyond kind of a sketch on the back of a fag packet or an idea you have <laughs> with your mate down the pub. You know, it's 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 kind of got some legs and you've done some initial research to suggest it's worth pursuing. The first thing you would need to do is build your um, business case out, build out your strategy, because it's the strategy that allows you to really think about the, the strategic stepping stones of the business over the longer term. And it's that document that would inform your financial projections and and therefore inform your pitch deck as well. Um, so without that in place, you can't really build a credible set of assets. So it's, it's strange when you, when you build out these assets I talk about, you start with the business plan. Then you would build out the financial model and then you'd create the pitch. The order in which you then present them to the investor is you pitch first. They're interested in the pitch, so they look at the financial model. If they like the financial model, they'll they'll go into the detail of the the business plan. So you kind of create them in reverse order to which the investor would see them because they will have to tell the same story. And the pitch deck is basically a summary of the other two documents. And the financial projections is built upon the assumptions in the business strategy so to make sure they all connect and all stand up to investor scrutiny you have to build them in that order so it's, it's business plan financial projections pitch materials 100 percent always results in the in the best the best outcome for the pitch and the best outcome okay. for the forecasts
0: so in terms of this strategy or business plan are there any key elements that must go into this
1: yes <laughs> yes so quite a few but but at a top level there'd be what have you achieved to date you know what have you what have you done so far with the capital you've invested either yourself or, or through early investors or, or lack of capital you've had so far like what have you been able to achieve with this with this concept you want to talk about progress um, okay. you want to talk about the 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 market opportunity so so the the problem you see in the market and and the the size and the scale that market could be um, mm-hmm. how big a market share could you potentially get in that market based on all external factors like the competition and the current economy and 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 um, legal factors that might might give you an advantage looking at the at the potential risks in the market but also the potential opportunities so so everything around the kind of market opportunity and market potential. Um, your implementation strategy. So now we not understand all of this stuff. How are we going to get from where we are now to where we want to be in, in, in the future? So that should be split into short and long-term kind of thinking. Um, exit multiples and research around kind of what kind of exits do we get in this industry? You know, different industries have different multiples. So if you're a, if you're a, a subscription-based tech business, you might be mm. able to sell your company for 20 times its profit. Um, in your sector. Whereas if you're a consultancy with no recurring revenues and and just kind of contracts, you might be able to do three or five times revenue, uh, sorry, profit, three to five times profit. So you want to research what kind of exit multiples you could get. and, And so investors are clear that you're building a business that's going to deliver the best kind of potential multiples and the best type of returns. Um, so all of those kinds of things are in that in that strategy. So we're thinking about plotting our route to a potential exit because that's how the investors get their money back. If they, if they don't if you don't exit the company, they don't make their money back or they don't make a return on that investment. Okay. So that's what we're trying to showcase here is is I've thought beyond the idea and I'm looking to this is how I'm going to build a highly scalable business. Mm. So I can get how. If you've got a product and you've
0: brought it to market and you've got customers you can kind of work out to a certain extent what the opportunity is. And then if you scale it by X, then you can work out perhaps in 10 years, you might be able to exit for Y. But if you've got a concept like in our FinTech example, where you've perhaps not sold anything yet, but maybe you've worked out there is a gap in the market and mm-hmm. you've got, maybe you've got projections, IE on, how what each I don't know, each user, let's say it's a SaaS platform, each user is going to be cost and how many you think you can on board. But most of this is still I don't want to say guesswork, but it's still um being thought up. How yes. do
1: you how do you put together these kind of numbers? Yeah, so scenario? when it comes to the when it comes to the forecasts and and look at it, it's it's a real tough one for founders because founders do feel like they have to pre- be able to predict their future right like they're, they are looking into a crystal ball and they need to be able to see what's happening in five years time. And the, the truth mm. is that most most startups and early stage, don't really know what's happening in their business in the next couple of months, let alone the next five years. Yeah. Um, so I like to think of it as, as you're never trying to predict your future, not when you're raising these kind of early stage rounds of investment, you're not trying to predict your future, you're trying to create your future. So you're leveraging as much research and in, industry insight as you can, bearing in mind that most founders are building a business in a sector that they have quite a lot of industry experience in so they understand the customer really well they understand the market really well they understand who else is is offering products maybe quite different to theirs but solving similar problems in a different way and what things are people are willing to pay for for the solution so you can use all of these kind of insights both researching third-party Um, data, your own insights and instincts, um, that of your advisors or of industry leaders and experts that you've interviewed through the validation process to kind of build up a picture of what you think would be reasonable and realistic once you get to market. And then you can start to cross-reference that with perhaps some businesses in a similar niche or with a similar type of business model that have scaled at a certain rate, and you can kind of compare that to you and, and plot out your your success. And, and then when quizzed by an investor, you've yep. got all that research and that and that backing up of those, of those assumptions in your business plan. And that's why the mm. business plan is so important to say, I haven't just got a model and I've thrown in an arbitrary 30% a month growth rate, and we're going to charge £100 a month for our subscription. This is the research that's led me to believe that that's one the right price point and two the kind of growth rate that could be achievable because company x y and z achieved that only last year when they were when they raised 500k for their concept they were able to yep. reach a hundred thousand users within 18 months or whatever and and we could do something similar it's it's possible it's been done before there's no reason we can not do it so it's kind of drawing parallels as much as you can and backing up those assumptions with with evidence and research and Being reasonable, really.
0: Yeah, yeah. I like that example. If you can cross-reference a company that's Mm. perhaps in a similar sector that's
1: done something like that. Yeah. So, when when you're raising the first few rounds of investment, the the one thing you and investors can agree on is that the financial forecasts are completely made up, and and you have no idea what's going to happen. But what they're what they're looking for is that you're financially literate, that you understand what you're trying to build, that. You're moving towards this objective of getting the company into this position, because if we get it into Mm -hmm. this position, it's going to be highly valuable, highly exitable. We're all going to get a great return. So what you're kind of saying to an investor is, look, if you invest in me, I might end up going down a slightly different path. And we might take a slightly different route, but the end destination is the same. I'm going to do everything I can to get the business into this position in five years time so we can all walk away with an exit. We might end up with a different type of revenue model, a a completely different product and a completely different niche. Who knows where this journey is going to take us? But everything I do is going to be with a view to building a business that is like this. So you're kind of saying to an investor, I'm hell bent on building this performance business I talked about earlier. You're not going to end up investing in someone who wants a lifestyle business. You're, you're getting on the same page. You're showing an investor your ambition um, and that your direction of travel. Do you
0: think that investors are more influenced by the person themselves,
1: or the i.e. the founders, or the offer? The founders. That's why my book's called Investable Entrepreneur, not Investable idea or investable business. Um, The entrepreneur is the one that drives this. The entrepreneur is the person that sets the direction and sees the information and makes informed decisions on which way to progress. So... We can all have great ideas, as I said earlier, but only the very best can execute on those and turn them into highly scalable, highly profitable businesses. And they're the ones who can roll with the punches, they can adapt as they, as they learn more about the market, more about what works, more about what doesn't work, um, and they can find a way to success. And investors at an, uh, of an early stage concept are very aware that the thing that they end up exiting, the business they end up exiting, is probably going to be a million miles away from the one originally pitched to them.
0: So mm-hmm. what they're really
1: looking for is the credibility of the entrepreneur, the, the skill set of the entrepreneur, the financial literacy of the entrepreneur to say, you make a good strategic bet. Because that's all they're doing. They're betting on a horse, essentially. And they're looking at all these founders and they're saying, which one's the best strategic bet? Which one am I most comfortable having access to my capital to deploy it and turn it into something of greater value? And if you can convince them that that's you and you're going to be the best person to the best custodian of their cash, then they're going to back you. And and very few investors really care about the idea. It's more about the the way you're going to implement that, the way you're going to commercialize it, the way you're going to create value from it. That's the bit that that they're most excited by.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. Nick Bennett, the director of sales at inbound marketing agency Impact, had a booking problem. Before, on HubSpot meetings, their website visitors had to take a huge seven or eight clicks from form submission through to meeting booked. Plus, they couldn't see who was abandoning midway through. With the help of Chili Piper, they're down to around just three clicks to book meeting and have full visibility into any drop-offs. One main friction point before was lead routing. HubSpot meetings added a form field plus two extra clicks just to do this. Chili Piper allows them to distribute leads to the right sales rep super fast. As a result, impactful of increased book meetings and provide a web experience both web visitors and their revenue teams love. We're constantly trying to just make the web experience better. To us, the most valuable thing was providing a delightful experience for people on the website. Because that's often the first touchpoint people have with us as people. Get your free demo of Chili Piper today at chilipiper.com bgs. That's C-H-I-L-I-P-I-P-E-R dot com slash bgs. Are you tired of the competition stealing your potential clients and website traffic just because they rank higher than you on Google for the main services or products you offer? Or maybe you're already investing in SEO or marketing, but your website's failing to convert your hard-earned visitors into a steady flow of qualified sales leads. Or perhaps you already work with a web or SEO agency, but they're just not getting you the results they promised. Let's fix that. Get in touch with us over at webchoiceuk.com, that's webchoiceuk.com, mention the podcast and set up a call with Sam to see if we can help you with the results today. So we have gone through some of the steps. We've talked about kind of the strategy and business plan. I think we talked about the financials a bit. Was there anything yeah, we missed? Yeah. I don't think um, so. We've got a good, good summary on those, I think. And then the pitch
1: deck itself Hmm. what should what needs to be included here um so so the pitch decks a summary of of the other things we mentioned a summary of the business strategy a summary of the of the financials um and it does two jobs um the first job is to convince the investor that it's a brilliant concept in a scalable market or a large market with a brilliant opportunity uh, is something that the market wants. It's something the market needs. It's kind of, it's a, it's, it's a great idea. It's a great concept. It's a great business. The other job is to say, this is an incredible founder who can take this idea to market scale it up and and execute on it. So I've got like a five step kind of um, uh, method of, of kind of the stages in which you need to take the investor through from start to finish. And the first is like the hook, like get the investor excited by the concept, the idea, the vision. Then it's the essence. What's the value proposition? Who is this for and how is it going to benefit them? And what's the, what's the problem it's solving? Um, then it's the, the um, evidence and the, uh, is the third step. And you need to convince an investor that this is, you have the research to back up this concept. It's something the market wants. It's something the market needs. The, the market are perhaps even adopting this currently and you're seeing growth but you have evidence to suggest this is worth pursuing. They're all the bits that sell, those first three steps selling the concept to the investor, that this is a great business concept in a good market with scalable credentials. The final two parts of the pitch are the plan and the ask. Now the plan is where you summarize your business strategy. How are you gonna take this to market? What's your growth plans? What's your product development roadmap look like? All of the kind of slightly more technical details around how you're gonna actually build and scale the business. And that gives them faith that you as an individual as someone who's worth investing into someone who's worth investing their time in finding out more about this business that that you've got the credentials of actually being able to build a scalable and exitable business. And then the final bit is the ask, which is where we actually ask for the money. This is how much money we want. This is the valuation we're raising at. Um, And then um, these are the financial projections for our business. If we if we receive this cash um, on these terms. This is where we could be in five years time. And those last two parts of the bit that says not only is this someone with a great idea, but this is an incredible founder that I can trust with my capital. But the thing the thing you're doing with your pitch is you're never, ever pitching for investment ever. You never pitch for investment. What you're doing is you're pitching for time. You're pitching for the investor to say, I think you're a brilliant founder and this is a brilliant concept and I want to spend my time in second and third meetings with you, better understanding this opportunity and whether or not mm. it's going to create success for me and whether I want to be part of this venture. So you, you always pitch for time. Um, you never yep. pitch for investment. Um, and it's just getting a summary across to create a conversation. And then you can explore all the detail and show how clever you are in the second and third meetings. But the pitch is the top level summary. It's the trailer, whereas the business plan, and the projections are the full movie.
0: Got it. I like the summary. So, we'll talk about pitching for time in a sec, and we also need to discuss kind of how you can actually find and approach um, potential investors. Because that was my fault for mm. missing out, but we'll we'll cover that in a sec because that's yeah, going to be important. Sure. But what you just ran through there, that five steps for your pitch deck, it almost reminds me of a, a great landing page or homepage, which is my background in in websites. Because yeah. start with a great hook. I mean, if someone lands on your site and doesn't quickly know what you do or how you can help them with the problem you fix, then what's the point? They're probably going to go to another page or another competitor that does. And likewise, talking about the problems you fix is step two. Number three, evidence and research, why the market needs us. Well, that could be a bunch of things like proof that you've, in in my case, proof that you've helped other customers, social proof testimonials, testimonials, video reviews, case studies, um, and then plan strategy, how you're going to actually deliver on what you say Mm -hmm. you can. And then they ask, the call to action. So it's,
1: it's no surprise that my background is in marketing and advertising and brand. And I've used those skills to get really good at helping people raise investment. Um, so I, I approach this game of raising investment, of convincing investors exactly like you would with a sales and marketing, a landing page or a, or a sales and marketing campaign, which is why there's such a crossover. And you've, you've identified that is because the, the thing that... I think makes the, the approach and the, the things I talk about in my book kind of resonate with, with a lot of people is and, and delivers us the types of results we get for our clients is because we approach this from an angle of communication. And we treat it as if your shares are a product you're trying to sell. And the customer is the investor. And the pitch, the business plan, the financial forecast, they're all communication materials to make an investor buy your shares uh, or persuade an investor to buy your shares. So that's what's given us great success because we don't come from a VC background saying, oh, this is the information I want. We're saying, this is how you create communication. That's going to convince an investor that your business is the one to back. And I'm glad you picked up on the, on the fact that it's, I'm basically rehashing classic marketing techniques and, and talking about it in the terms of how to pitch to an investor to, to get them to buy your shares. It's, it's, it's very closely related because that's, that's my background.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like it. So, Pitching for time, tell us more about what that means, James. And also I'd be interested to know, I'm sure the audience would too. Is in how many of these meetings do we typically have to set up? Is it like one and two done, deal done, or is it like five, ten
1: meetings, or what does what the typical <coughs> cycle look like? Yeah. So so pitching for time, the investment process is quite a long one. It can be sort of they they typically, if you were to Google this, you'd probably get results saying three to six months. I think the reality Certainly, at the moment, is more um, six to nine months, sometimes twelve months, from from a first pitch to cash in the bank. It can take quite some time. So, so when I, everyone expects, everyone from sort of who's never done this before probably has Dragon's Den in their head or Shark Tank, depending on <laughs> yeah. where you are in the world. And you're going to rock up. There's going to be someone with a stack of cash on the table, and you're going to pitch, and they're going to go, "Yep, yeah, I'm in," um, and you're going to walk away with the deal. Um, it doesn't work like that. that's made for TV. Um, and most of those deals that you see on TV end up failing when it goes through to the due diligence phases and all the legal phases required in closing a deal. Very few actually end up going ahead. Um, and you don't see that bit. So So what actually happens is you pitch to an investor and that might be a formal pitch with a presentation or it might be a conversation in a coffee shop, but you're gonna explain your concept to an investor and get their interest. That's the initial pitch. you're pitching for their time. You're saying to them, this is a great concept. I'm a great founder. I'd love it if you were to commit some time to finding out more um, and mm. finding out more about this opportunity. That's, that's what you're trying to achieve. Your objective of that first pitch is to get them to agree to a second meeting where you can send them your financial forecast, send them your business plan, and start to talk things through in more detail. After that second meeting, there'll probably be a third and a fourth meeting, and, and they'll start. they'll continue to converse with you. They'll continue to analyze your figures and your strategy. They'll do their own due diligence around the market potential and the size of the market and the risks involved in your sector. And if after another, you know, there's an opportunity for them to drop out at any point along this journey. But if you get all the way through their kind of process of doing due diligence and the conversations, you will then be in a position where they will commit to investing a certain amount of money in your business, which may be the whole round that you're you're looking for. Let's say we're raising 500k. They might commit all 500K or they might say, I'm investing 100K. You now need to go find four other investors that will also invest 100K um, to make up the round. So you might have to go through that process multiple times with multiple investors to get all the money that you're looking for. So when I say pitching for time, it's literally that you're pitching for them to want to book a second meeting, more of their time um, that they will invest in you. So they'll invest their time in you first and then they'll invest invest their money.
0: Yeah. Well, it sounds like what great salespeople do, really. Rather than pitch straight away, they're (laughs) gauging interest with their outreach, whether that's a cold call, a DM, or video message. They're asking if it's You can start to really
1: see how this is nothing different to any sales or marketing campaign. And as soon as you start (laughs) thinking about shares as selling a product to a potential um, customer, which is the investor, it all starts to make sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing, nothing
1: different than than everything you do every day in your business right now
0: um, awesome okay so yeah i was going to ask because you mentioned that first meeting is just purely gaining interest and then booking some time for the second second meeting if they're if they do do show interest and do bite on the idea and then you kind of slowly moving it on mm-hmm. over time should you get several investors on the table to start with i mean perhaps we should take a step back and before i ask kind of how many investors should you kind of approach like what should be what is a good from your experience james prospecting strategy and when i say that actually making a list of these are i don't know 10 20 30 40 50 potential investors yeah what's the list building strategy and what's the what's the outreach recommended strategy yeah
1: so you'll be no (laughs) excuse me so there'd be no surprise to to you to to learn that reaching out to investors is no different to any other sales or marketing campaign. so you need to create a funnel you need to create a a funnel that will go from from you know prospects down to clients and investors that commit and and as a general rule, and this will change for every business, but as a general rule based on kind of looking at averages of, of campaigns that we've been involved with, for every one investor that you have on your, um, ending up investing in your business, you might need to reach out to sort of 30 to 50 investors. So, so it's like, I'll create like a 30, 10, two, one rule is the general kind of rule for the funnel. So for every 30 investors you reach out to, 10 might show um, interest and, and you get that initial pitch meeting with, um, two, uh, would then express some level of interest and want to go through the due diligence process with you in those second and third meetings. And then one of those will end up investing. So 30, 10, two, one. So if you're thinking I've got a 500 K round and I'm going to need five investors committing hundred K each, um, you're going to need to multiply that by five. So, so your 30 investors becomes 150 that you reach out to is an absolute minimum um, to, to try and work them through that funnel. Um, and the better you are at it, the better your numbers. And the, the more the, the less good you are at it, the, the bigger that funnel needs to be at the top. So it wouldn't be unusual for us to work with clients and outreach to at least 500 investors, um, if not a thousand potential investors, and and then work them through through that funnel um, just to be on the safe side. Because what you really want to be is oversubscribed. You want to be like any business, any product yeah. you're selling, you're more likely to sell it if if demand outstrips supply. If you've got more people wanting to buy your product, if you've got queues of people around the block wanting to um buy your new product then it's then then you're going to be the one of the most profitable companies in your in your sector and the same again is true with investment so you want to get yourself in a position where you can make these these types of phone calls at the end of the process and you can ring up these investors that have said they want to invest and say look i've got some good news and i've got some bad news good news is we've got enough investors on board that we can close our round the bad news is some investors are going to have to miss out because we've actually got more interest than we need. We're not going to yep. overfund. We only want to close the 500K. We've actually got 1 million committed. So, half of the investors that want to invest aren't going to be able to invest in this round. You're one of my top pick investors. I love what you could bring to the table beyond money. Um, I love that you were connected to X, Y, and Z. I'd love for you to be part of our journey. If you're still on board, I need you to know let me know by the end of the week so I can add you to our heads of terms and instruct our legal team to send out the paperwork. If you're, if you're no longer interested, it's absolutely fine. Don't worry about it. I've got loads of people waiting. So mm. suddenly you're flipping the tables on the investor and, and they're having this kind of fear of missing out. Crap, if I don't, If I don't make a decision now, I'm going to miss out on something that could be the next big thing. All these other investors are so interested in it. I really need to I really need to sort of um, make this happen or I'm going to miss out on on a potentially huge deal. Um, so, So ideally, you want to be in that position. So if you can reach out to as many as humanly possible, you're more likely to be in that position than scraping around desperately trying to find that one investor that will that will give you the money you need.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean it's just like sales and business, right? Having a healthy pipeline is the cure of most business pilot. issues. Yeah. For that's sure. it. That's it. For sure. So I don't have the first clue on this. How would you go about actually finding people that want to invest? Like is there like a database? Yeah. Is it a case of scraping LinkedIn or a, there is a yeah. database? Okay. You can do that.
1: There's a database you can you can scrape LinkedIn. Um So you can do LinkedIn searches, you can get a LinkedIn Pro or sales navigator or whatever, and you can start searching um, for investors in your local area or investors that might be connected with certain industries. Um, So, but there's a lot of people who wouldn't necessarily put investor in their profile on LinkedIn um, and they kind of, they're CFO or CEO or founder of other companies and they've got some wealth and they they use that cash to to invest in in startups um, so they might not be known on LinkedIn so so the best probably one of the best sources is a, a website called crunchbase and this is like a, a database of of investment activity and and as a you'd have to be a premium member to export the data um, but you can bet for free you can do searches Um for investors so you can look at recent investment deals in your sector and you can look at which companies have recently raised investment in your in your niche and then you can click on their profile and you can see who invested in that round and then you can add those to your list you can search for there's an investor search so you can literally just say who I want names of investors that have invested in this niche at this level of funding and it will give you a list You can look at competitors, you could perhaps have a list of competitors in your niche and you could look at all of their profiles and see who their early investors were. So they might be five years older than you, but someone invested in them at the beginning, who were those people and are they still active? So you can look at those. And and my personal favorite is you can look at recent acquisitions and mergers in your your niche on Crunchbase. So you can look at who's recently sold their business in my niche and you can contact their investors and you can contact the founder themselves. You can mm. say, you yeah, know, these people have literally just made a ton of money from your sector by investing yep. in a company just like yours. Why wouldn't they want to go again with something that's even like the next generation, the the, the next big thing in that niche? They've just made nice. a load of money from it and they've just had a big payday. So they've got cash to invest right now. And most mm. founders, when they exit a business, what's the first thing they do? Start investing in the next crop of founders because they don't know what to do with these tens of millions of dollars that have just landed in their bank account. So they start angel investing. So you can use all of those tactics on Crunchbase to build a list of potential investors in your, in your niche. Um, Got it.
0: Okay. And no, that's, that's helpful in terms of building that list and I'm sure Crunchbase, like you said, and perhaps LinkedIn and a few other things. There's,
1: there's grit.io is another one. There, there's quite a few out there um, that you can use.
0: Awesome. And then in terms of just like sales, there's, there's tons of ways you can prospect, right? Video message, yeah. cold call, cold email, LinkedIn message, the list
1: goes on. But what have you found yeah. to
0: be the most effective?
1: Yeah. So there's a few different approaches. The first is good old LinkedIn connection, but don't try and pitch in that LinkedIn connection. Just just connect with them, probably say nothing, um, and then just start engaging with their content and posting your own insightful content about the progress of your business and start to just build a relationship. Most angel investors want to to kind of feel like they know, like, and trust the founder that they're investing in. So the chances of them engaging with you, if you do a LinkedIn connection saying, I'm looking to raise investment, this is my sector, here's a link to my pitch deck, Do you want to connect then more than likely going to say no so if you just connect with them and just take it slow um, and build up a relationship and then and then start to start to reach out to them that that can work really well um obviously there's the classic kind of linkedin prospecting type approaches there's there's cold um there's cold outreach but uh, in terms of email but the best way to do that is with some kind of element of personalization so um Doing some social listening, maybe checking out their their um, profile and seeing what they've recently posted or tweeted about, and kind of referencing that in the in the um, intro. So you're making it very, very obvious that they've been personally targeted because you believe that they have an interest in your in your sector and your niche. Um, what else? Uh, introductions. So if you can leverage your current network to get introductions to anyone on that list, that's by far the best way. Investors will always have time for an introduction um, more than a cold outreach. So yeah, they're, they're the kind of the top ones, really. I think um, there's loads more we could talk about, but I'm just conscious of boring your audience and uh, taking up too much time.
0: <laughs> no, no, no problem at all. Um, let's let's wrap it up. though. we've I think we've gone through the full cycle pretty much. But what I do want to cover is negotiation because I'm sure that that yeah. comes up. I.e., investors want more stake than you're willing to give for. Mm-hmm maybe less cash and you're or more cash and you're willing yeah. to part with so yeah. let's to, to wrap things up let's talk about that final how to, how to deal, deal with tough negotiations and how to close deals up
1: <laughs> yeah it's really difficult right so investors will always disagree with whatever valuation you put in your in your pitch um, just in the same way that if you were putting a house on the market you probably you're, you're you're expecting offers below that asking price Um and there's going to be some kind of negotiation in in between. So so people are going to try and get themselves a deal, and you have to be prepared to to negotiate. The the when when investors look at your valuation, what they're really doing is weighing up risk versus reward, and they need to they will do through their due diligence. Uh, and their research, once they're decided to invest time in exploring this opportunity, they'll come to a conclusion on what they believe your valuation needs to be for them to get the types of returns that they would need to get from the capital they invest in you. In order for them to want to commit to investing that time in figuring all of that out, they need to know that you're within a kind of a negotiation tolerance within an area that's worth their while. So let's say, for example you've got a business and you're valuing it at 20 million and the Mm. investor thinks you're worth 6 million. There's absolutely no way of bridging that gap. That's a too big a gap. You might be able to convince them to invest at 8 million, maybe even 10, but they're never going to get to 20. So they are looking for you to have a valuation in your pitch that suggests to them that you're within the right tolerance for them to invest the time and start figuring this out. And then it's just a case of doing everything you can to back up your the valuation that you've put versus the valuation they want and coming to some kind of agreement in the middle, because they're always going to go with the lowest, you're always going to go with the highest that's reasonable, and you're going to have to find somewhere in the middle that you're um, comfortable with. Now, as mm. a general rule of thumb for your for your audience who who might be thinking about this. If we were to look at a billion dollars worth of deals done in the UK over the last, um, I think it's over the last five years or so, the average equity that is sold for a pre-seed, seed and seed round, so typically your first three rounds of investment you might have in a business is 15% each time. Okay. So you sell 15% on each round. And that gives you a rough ballpark of kind of what, based on how much you want to raise, and how you, if you're willing to sell the average at 15 percent, that will give you an idea of what a sensible valuation might be. Obviously, if you're raising too much for the stage of development you are. So maybe you're trying to raise 20 million when you've only just had an idea, then that's going to skew the, the valuation. But providing you're raising a reasonable amount, given the stage of development, you can kind of use that as a general rule of thumb to figure out your your Indicative in valuation. Um, evaluation. There's lots of different valuation methods we can use. We use five different valuation methods for our clients and put together a full independent report. But as a mm. back of a fag packet kind of calculation on roughly what I should put in my pitch deck, that's a really good starting point because that's hard to argue against. Really, that's the average. That's that's a sensible ballpark. Yeah. No, that 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 is all helpful. Now,
0: in terms of the negotiation side of things. I mean, there's a sales term, I think it's called BATNA, like best alternative to negotiation something. I've forgotten what the last part is. But mm-hmm. is that something that businesses, people seeking investment should have in their mind, i.e. we're, we're not willing, this is something you should prepare beforehand because like you said, investors probably could get pretty firm on numbers um, and they might come to a point where they're not willing to shift beyond a certain point. Yeah. But should you as, as a person, as a business seeking investment, kind of work out all these numbers beforehand, i.e., this is the lowest we're willing to go to let's prep everything beforehand so we're not going in and fanning around or panicking last minute and those those yeah you
1: you want to be prepared and you want to think to yourself what a a best case outcome and a worst case outcome and what your red lines are and and what you just can't do the deal on because you don't want to be pushed too much from the investor to give too much equity too soon because that could be disastrous for you and them actually at a later point because if you If you give too much equity away too soon, that leaves you little wiggle room to go and raise future rounds of investment that you might need to achieve the type of growth that you're looking for. And if you end up in a position where you've sold too much of the company Mm. and don't feel like you're getting you're going to end up with enough of a return for all the time and the effort and the blood, sweat and tears you've put in, then you're probably going to kind of just let the business kind of fizzle out and maybe start up a new thing with a new idea because you're entrepreneurial and you're always coming up with these ideas so it's not in the investor's interest to to be overly zealous on the on the negotiation because if you're not if you're not emotionally bought into this because you don't feel like you're getting a fair cut of the returns for the effort you're putting in then you're just not going to focus you're just going to ditch it and you're going to start something new so there is a there is a risk on their part for pushing it too far and you can perhaps use that With slightly more um, perhaps newer and more naive um, uh, investors you can kind of use that as a bit of leverage to say look for me to be committed to this based on our future plans we can't go beyond this in terms of equity because after we've raised two or three more rounds we're going to be diluted so much it's not going to be worth our while so we need to think about the future journey that we've mapped out in our business plan and therefore we can't afford to sell more than this today and that's our that's our red line um so yeah it's it's having the ducks in a row and and yeah being fair um but also firm in terms of what works best for you in your future and if you're in that position where i said where you're oversubscribed that puts you in a much because if they don't agree that valuation you've got others that will and if you, you can follow on on these terms or you're out um if you're in that position it makes life much easier
0: definitely yeah that's the best place to be james with that said sir Thank you very much for coming on the show. Appreciate no, you sharing your welcome. wisdom on all things no, investment. No worries at all. Appreciate it. So with that said, please do tell us more about how everyone tuning in can learn more about yourself, your company, and any way you want to send yeah. our audience.
1: Yeah. So I think the best thing for, for them to do, if if you're listening and you're thinking, I might be looking at raising investment in 2023, and I, I need to make sure I've got all my ducks in the row, and I need to make sure I'm prepared enough, um, go to pitchready.co.uk, Um, That's a free um, quiz that will give you a a sort of takes about three minutes to complete. You'll get you'll get a, a 12 page tailored report on how investor ready you are, along with tips and tricks on what you need to do to improve your your investment readiness. Um, and you can also claim a free copy of my book. Having taken that quiz as well, you'll get sent a link to get a free copy of, of of my book as well. So that's probably the best way to start kind of absorbing knowledge and understanding how to play this game and how to how to go out and raise investment. So, yeah, I'd, I'd encourage everyone to go and do that.
0: Awesome. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes over at businessgrowth.marketing. And with that, thanks once again, James. Enjoy the chat. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. No worries. And as always, if you enjoyed today's show, a quick rating or review on your audio podcast goes a long way off on YouTube. A subscribe is much appreciated. And with that, we'll catch you on the next one for more actionable, no BS tips to grow your business and grow your revenue. Cheers for tuning in.